This episode of Off Air with Jane and Fee is brought to you by British Heart Foundation. British Heart Foundation have estimated that up to 7.6 million people are living with heart and circulatory diseases in the UK. And there is something we can all do to help fund life-saving research. And don't worry, Fee, we don't all need to run marathons to fundraise today. Over 50% of their research is funded by gifts in wills. Now, these are really vital in supporting life-saving research. It's such a remarkably positive thing we can all do and definitely something to consider if you are writing your will or thinking of updating it. With a simple act, you can support future scientific breakthroughs that could help save and improve millions of lives. British Heart Foundation offers a free will guide and free will writing services too, helping to make the process as easy as possible. To download your free will guide today and help British Heart Foundation fund life-saving research, search BHF Wills. overcrowd our tiny, tiny little lady minds with that even too much. Way too much. She's talking about Thursday. It's only Monday, Jane. Put Ian's book down. I uh, know this is a really good bit here. I've no, I'd never heard of, and I'm sure, I mean, the gentleman is long since deceased, so he's not around to challenge it. I don't know how to pronounce this. Svein Forkbeard was a king between 1013 and 1014. So he didn't really only for a minute, uh, just just for a minute, just before <laughs> just before tea break on a Tuesday morning. No, um, just for a year. Yeah, and that's not the really interesting thing. It's the fact that he, we don't know how many people he was married to, but he was certainly married to a woman called Sigrid the Haughty. Wow, <laughs> I think I've met her. So if you could, if you could attach a Sigrid the an adjective so, to your name. Yeah, what well, would I was, you be? I was just thinking, that it's a shame in a way that that's all died out. But what would you be? Uh, Jane the Imperious. Yes, I think you would. Yeah, well, I, well, what about you? I don't know. I think it's a little bit like nicknames. You shouldn't actually choose your own. So I wait with trepidation to open the email inbox <laughs> tomorrow morning. <laughs> if you've got any ideas, you can... Send them off to Jade and Fee. Yeah, but you're right. Because I, you know, it, 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 it also, if you want to get on your high horse about having to have your dad's name or your husband's name or whatever it is, uh, um, we are, uh, we get our paternal mm. name, don't we? Yeah. Or a, a patriarchal yes. name in this country. Uh, maybe we should return to just using adjectives. I think Eve would be Eve the Glorious. Because she's just always, she's always a rare sunshine, isn't she? She is, she's lovely. You can tell you're on holiday next week. I am on holiday next week. Where's all this love coming from? That's because I've had a long weekend. (laughs) That's very nice. (laughs) I was coming on Monday with Love in My Heart by Mm. Thursday. I've been flattened. Uh, Right, can we just say something actually quite serious about the news? Because we did have an email from somebody who uh, minded... uh, about the fact that we haven't really talked about world events. So Alexa says, very nice things by way of an introduction uh, in her email and goes on to say, I'm a 37-year-old British-Israeli woman married to an Israeli who grew up close to Tel Aviv. I'm curious as to your complete refraining from mentioning the war between Hamas and the IDF, other than a passing comment that the cute photo of Fee's dog and cat is much needed this week. There's been no mention at all. The 
deafening silence of many friends and colleagues on the events devastating our lives is frightening and levels of anti-Semitism are rising above and beyond the surface. My older son goes to a Jewish, predominantly Israeli school and things are terrifying on a daily basis. Many fathers have been conscripted back to Israel to fight in Gaza in the coming days, leaving wives and children not knowing if and when they will return. I understand that Off Air has a focus other than focusing on world trauma, but there is no way you would not have mentioned the war in Ukraine or, I'm sure, something on this scale relating to any other conflict. So I do hope you'll explain why there's been no allusion to events in Israel and the extent of the terror now instilled in many of your listeners. I look forward to your explanation with interest. So... Our explanation is? Uh, well, actually, I'm not sure I've got an explanation, except I suppose I made, I think we probably both make the assumption that people come here as a kind of an alternative, a place of safety where all sorts of difficult things can be discussed. But, of course, having said that, I'm contra- we are contradicting that if we don't mention it, I guess. And my explanation mm. would be uh, that after we've done a two-hour news-based show, which is what we do here on Times Radio between three and five in the afternoon, I think both you and I probably feel that we need to head to the slightly less newsy type topics because that is what makes the difference between the show and And the the podcast. podcast. But I completely take your point, Alexa, that also if you haven't listened to the two-hour radio programme, so like today, I think 90% of what we talked about was to do with the conflict in the Middle East. And we do try really hard to have a balanced selection of guests and to give those guests enough time, actually, and probably more time than they get on other radio stations to tell us things that we need to know. So we've, you know, we've done that a lot and just forgive us actually it's not because we don't care about the situation it's not because we're not interested and it's not because we don't think it's our job to do anything but you know entertain with clothes pegs and pepper mills and stuff Mm. it's just uh it's just how it happened actually last week any emails from any of our listeners that you think would bring some kind of understanding is there any clarity at the moment you know, I really don't know. There's just so much pain out there. Of mm. course, we would be welcome. They would be very welcome. Um, and we will read them and pass them on to our listeners. So I suppose I'd just say sorry, but it's not a deliberate, it's not a deliberate slight. I mean, I, certainly neither of us want to cause offence uh, at all. So yes, I'm, I'm sorry too. And I don't think there's anything sadder really than I go, I used to, on my way to, to work, I used to go past a synagogue and there is something... I always just used to find it desperately sad that they had to have security there. And um, I, I used to think... Well, I, in fact, there was a time when I didn't know what the building was and then I discovered what it was. And I just... I, I do find it desperately, desperately sad. It's appalling that people are worried about sending their children to Jewish schools in this country right now. I just think that's absolutely dire and should not be tolerated. And, of course, everybody should be free to go to school. Um, I did have a WhatsApp exchange last night with um, a Muslim um, woman who's a teacher and has actually been a contributor um, on Times Radio. And she was saying that lots of secondary schools are trying at the moment to explain the situation in the Middle East to the children because, like so many uh, important subjects, they're not really taught in schools, are they? Um, I think there might be some schools that have got the ability to have, I don't know, weekly or monthly sessions for the sixth form on current issues but on the whole 
And also, you only have to listen, let's be honest, to a radio phone in at anywhere in Britain. Uh, and you will hear the wealth, the, the shit, the depth of ignorance is astonishing. Um, there's also any number of people who seem more than happy to share their stupid opinions with the rest of the world. Uh, and there are a lot of people, I suspect, I'm certainly one of them, you're one of them, lots of people listening to this or in this category, where we're so overwhelmed, where we're doing our very, very best to try to understand everything, that there's no way we'd express an opinion in public because we just don't feel well enough informed. No, I would agree with that. I know um, what I feel. But do you know what? I'd be interested to hear some thoughts from from teachers and parents because I think mm. lots of schools have really tried to explain in their assemblies and I don't know what that leaves the children thinking. I'd be interested to hear, you know, how how you explain something quite so terrifying. And I think as well we have to acknowledge that our um, younger citizens are not getting their information from the sorts of outlets that we know and understand. No, I think TikTok's been absolutely ridiculous over the last week. In fact, I know well, it has. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So, uh, so uh, really, uh, to anybody who might be listening who has, um, I don't know, and I really hope you haven't, but any kind of personal link to what's going on, um, well, we're, we're desperately sorry for you. And do please feel free to email us and let us know what you think. Yeah, and thank you for raising that, Alexa. And, you know, I wish your family well. I hope everybody is safe. Uh, this one uh, might be a career-limiting email with the question at the end of it, Jane. Oh. Uh, please anonymise. Happy to do that. I really empathise with the listener stressed about her job and wondering whether to pack it in. Uh, I work on climate change. It's really pressurised with lots of staff to manage and a terrible sense of time running out. It's constantly juggling work and managing lots of different demands. But it's interesting. There are some wonderful colleagues and I feel I'm doing something worthwhile. I could retire early and some days when the stress builds up, I am tempted to just walk out. Very few people love their work every day. Her metric, and this is our original listener uh, was that if you enjoy oh, sorry this is a wise friend of yours her metric was that if you enjoy your job 70% of the time then that's worth staying this feels about right to me and when I have a bad day I take the longer view and think about how the job feels overall so far I've stayed I hope the 70-30 rule might be useful for others how would you rate your jobs against this Fee and Jane <laughs> oh, gosh um, put a figure on it lady it's <laughs> I'm too emotionally attached to do something as crude as to put a figure on it. <laughs> quite, Im It would simply be impossible. But I like that because sometimes it is quite helpful to just have a figure. You know, it's like writing the pros and cons before you make a big decision mm. and just promising yourself that you will stick to whichever line is longest. And I like that 70-30. I've never thought of it that way before. I think that's really helpful, actually. And you're right, you do have a wise friend to suggest that. Yeah. Um, can we just mention, there was a very sensible email from somebody involved in HR who did not like the notion of quiet quitting. Yes. Have you got that one? I have got that one. It's quite a, it's quite a big one. Oh, here we are. There we go. Uh, as a, an HR consultant, I was inwardly screaming at one of your <laughs> listeners. This advice to quietly quit a demanding role. Firstly, I just don't think the listener who is considering leaving her job will be able to simply say no to everything over and above, above her job description. She doesn't sound that kind of person. And whilst I completely agree that delegation is key and it's important to have firm boundaries around working and non-working time, if, as a senior manager, your listener's style of working does a complete 180, eyebrows will be raised... Questions asked, a one-to-one -one conversation will definitely come her way, potentially followed by a lengthy capability process 
and or settlement agreement. This will be torturous for her and her team. There are some people who consciously take this route with the intention of reaching a settlement agreement. In my experience, it's unpleasant for colleagues and team members and takes someone with a really thick skin to achieve it. My advice is either to remove yourself from the organisation if financially you can do so, or have an upfront conversation with your manager about reduced hours. I believe it's important to try and achieve a sweet parting. Quiet quitting isn't the way. Right. Yeah. I've worked with some people, though, Joan, particularly back at the the old place, mm-hmm. who've been quietly quite, quitting, quite quitting for 40 years. 20 years at least. <laughs> yes. I could, this is Robert. He's quietly quitting. <laughs> <laughs> he's something in docks and he's quietly quitting. <laughs> Um, this is from, uh, it just says, from Barnes. So I don't know whether that's a person who lives in the area or is called Barnes. Uh, actually, they back up, because they are in HR after all, they back up Michael Ball with his view of um, the young folk and their tendency, tendency, uh, maybe to, to not come in when they're just feeling a tad off colour. Well, Eve the Glorious is laughing. She's not so sure about this one. Do you think the young generation are a little bit... Um... Oh, don't start with your snowflakey thing. How many days did you miss in your, let's say, first uh, proper two years of work? Proper work in an office mm. before you were fired. Fired? Yes, let go from the advertising oh, copywriting yes. job. I've never had any time off sick from that job. Okay. What and a, actually, what about the next job? The next job, uh, I mean, they, they sacked me and I hadn't had any jobs. <laughs> um, uh, I don't, I mean, look, I mean, partly it's just good fortune, isn't it? Whether or not you're tired. Whether or not you're off sick. I've never actually yeah. been. So I've, I'm trying to think, I've, oh, I was off with COVID. Or was I? Did that happen after I left? I actually have hardly had any time off sick, but it's just sheer good fortune. Mm. I've never copped a sickie. Have you never? No, I haven't. I absolutely haven't. I did turn up very hungover once at the BBC and was sick in the car park and was sent home. But that's once in a lifetime of bringing joy to a nation. Yes, I've never done it. Uh, Dear Jane and Fee, I really loved the Michael Ball interview, uh, though, like Fee, I'm no fan of musical theatre. Now, look, this is a terrible thing that I've done. Uh, It made me laugh, uh, Fee's comment that Diana Rigg might be involved with Giles Brandreth's Theatre Dames. (laughs) That might be the case, says Elizabeth, if he was organising a seance. Unfortunately, Diana Diana Rigg died three years ago. Right. Okay. But that's <laughs> wouldn't this, I think that's probably why Michael was allowed to include the anecdote about her in yes, his book. That's true. That's yeah. probably very true. Um, because you can't libel the dead. Can you, you can't. Yeah. Which is rather wonderful. Yes, and because <laughs> yeah, Joan Collins came out of it quite well. Well, yes, she did. She did. Yeah. yeah. She 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 was the victim. <laughs> she was the victim, but she she willingly listened i mean i honestly i've got to let's hear it for joan because it's not easy to listen to criticism however well meant is it it just not, isn't no it's do you know what, it's the second uh slightly kind of acerbic acid tongue anecdote about a dame of the theater that i'd heard in, in the space of a week i don't know what happens to them further down the line but they all go a bit pokey and sour or maybe that's what makes you a dame yeah because you've gone a bit pokey and sour could be um claudia wanted to talk about velvet ruts Uh, oh yeah your observation last week about loving your weeknight routines 
Yeah, I mean, I'm so... I, do you know what? I'm going to have a bubble bath tonight. I know which stuff I'm going to use. Probably have an hour of telly and I've got a lentil cottage pie thing to bung oh, in the oven. Lovely. Yeah, I'm so excited. Anyway, uh, and being in a velvet rut resonated with me. Um, I felt compelled to write in, in fact. My weeknight routine, of which your podcast forms a part, is actually sacrosanct to me. Now I'm in my early 50s. Wait till you get to my age. My boyfriend of nearly five years simply doesn't get my need for a routine, particularly during the week. He leaves everything to the last minute and never plans anything ahead, and I find it infuriating. I feel guilty about my yearning for structure and my apparent inability and unwillingness to go with, the, with his flow, but then I quickly pull myself together. Oh, Claudia, don't bother pulling yourself together. Yeah, don't you, go with his flow. No, stick his no. flow. You do what you want. I mean, there's nothing... There is. It's so cosy, particularly as the nights draw in and you can light a scented candle. Yes, yeah, you go back. with your own flow, love. Yeah, quite. I've just started season two of The Morning Show. You wouldn't no. even do season one, would you? No, I, I, I've got it on, but I don't watch television on laptops. Oh, so. God, I'm not going down that road again. <laughs> I know. Uh, it, is, it is worth it, though. I'm really enjoying it. You know that feeling when you've got a, a box set, uh, you've got two seasons left, so you know it's there for, for many, many winter's mm. evenings to come, and I'm enjoying that feeling enormously. It's like having a full freezer. Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. There's a love. Oh, sometimes, you know, when you open the freezer and there's a loaf of bread in there and you thought you were out. It's a little bonus. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Uh, have you bought your lentil cottage pie? Have you made oh, that made from it. scratch? I made it. I had quite a hectic weekend, but I spent a lovely day yesterday just making I made a chicken stew and I made a lentil cottage pie. Mm. That's quite comfort food. It was, isn't it? Uh, yeah, well, that's, that's me. I'm a comfort. Yes. And I like food. Yeah. yeah. Jane the Comfort. I think we've hit on it. Oh, yeah, gentlemen. that would be it. It would be Jane the Actually, Comfort. Actually, um, some women have the first name Comfort, don't they? I rather like oh, that. That's very nice. Yeah. Cathy yeah. mm. uh, from Derby uh, says, I would really recommend getting a dog to meet the amazing people who love their canine family. Sorry, short, I'm cooking my supper for one. No need to apologise, Cathy, at all. Uh, so that's in response to where the best place is to go if you don't want to do the rather scary online dating and I think Cathy's right. I think dog walking. Do you know what the huge bonus about dog walking is you can just pretend your dog needs to go if you're stuck with someone really dull or who you don't really want to meet. And you can just pretend, oh, look, Nan I'm sorry, Nancy needs to trot on. And then off you go. So I would recommend that. And also it just gives you a bit of a prop. Yeah. A very good prop. Well, that was, um, weirdly, that was the subject of a problem on the Graham Norton radio show when he does his problem-solving slot with Maria McCurlane. Yeah. Somebody had written in about um, they'd spotted or a, a really nice man had seen them with their dog in the park and they got talking and she wanted to, she couldn't work out whether he was single or not. He dropped a hint, but she wasn't sure. Whether, anyway, it was a long story, but it was a good one. Uh, I don't know how they solved it. I can't remember. Uh, John describes himself as an older male listener in Cumbria. I really like your show on Times Radio, he says. But how do I find out what you're going to do next? Do you have websites? No. Um, well, we're staying at well, Times Radio for yes, a while. Yes, you don't need to worry, John. Um, if do you know something I don't know? No, I don't, well, I hope I don't know. No, I don't know anything. Um, he's only just listened to the interview with Rory Stewart. No. So, John, I don't know whether you've emailed the show or the podcast. Either way, don't worry. Neither of them are going anywhere, at least for the foreseeable. So you can keep on listening. And I'm sure you're not that much older than me and you're very, very welcome. Thank you. 
How do you know he's not that much older than you? Well, I'm just I'm assuming he probably isn't. Well, he calls himself an older male listener, but that might... He'll be 89. <laughs> These days, Fee, I mean, that's fine. 89. <laughs> it's what we call a good age. Right, shall we talk about Ian Dale, who is our big guest on the show? Oh, look, you've got a Madonna clipping there. Do you want to oh, just no, do something just, about Madge? Well, we were just... She just did her... Uh, she started... Well, she wasn't meant to start this global tour in London, was she? I don't know. I, I don't she, really follow Madonna. No, I think she had to cancel it because she'd been so unwell. Uh, and so it's it's like fluke that the very first gig is actually in London. Okay. When it was meant to be perhaps somewhere else. I could be wrong. Because like you, I'm not a mass a mass madge person, mm. massive madger. Um, but I do, um, I mean, she's impossible not to admire, isn't she? But, you know, um, I mean, she's had great reviews for the show. Everybody absolutely loves it. Apparently it's thoughtful. It's funny. Uh, she sends herself up. She's slightly warmer than she used to be, and perhaps her recent illness has just made her just a little a little less uh, career-driven, shall we say. All her kiddies helped her out. I suppose that's what I wanted to mention, just the fact that every single one of her children was in some way involved with the show. One of them played the piano, someone else took part in a dance, and I'm just... It does make you feel... As a parent, it makes you occasionally feel just a trifle inadequate. But, I, you know... Would our youngsters help out with something like this? I think we know the answer, don't we? Well, even if they wanted to, Jane, to be serious for a moment, I just it makes me really a bit wobbly inside when I see that. Do you think, I mean, I think it's a good point you make there. Do you think the celebrities should just resist the temptation to bring their Hugely. kids into it? I went to see yeah. Robbie Williams once, years and years ago, uh, and his uh, he had a choir of, uh, you know, quite young kind of uh, kids chortling along. And then his son came on to do a bit of, you know, the the singing too. Mm. And there's, there's something quite, there is something quite uncomfortable about being asked to applaud somebody's child. Uh, I yeah, think... It's a bit old, isn't it? But I notice that the rugby, um, I mean, I'm such an expert on rugby. I remember having a very ill-informed conversation about it just before the tournament started. I think it was while you were on holiday in August with the very nice um, Maggie Alfonsi, who's one of the ITV pundits on the tournament. And uh, I was just, you know, England haven't got a good chance. I mean, it's embarrassing. They'd lost every single game going into the tournament. Uh, you know what? They're nearly in... I think they probably will lose in the semi-final. But um, so I'd just like to apologise to every England rugby player listening. I'm very sorry if I underestimated you. Yeah, what's the anecdote? But I do think you will lose in the semi-final. <laughs> um, no, they're all bringing their kiddies on at the end of the game. Oh, OK. So you've got these... Ba- and they are babes in arms, in the strip usually, often wearing gigantic ear defenders to drown out yeah. the sound. And who was the lovely little one who looked up at his dad and said, you're still the best dad? Oh, I think that was... Uh, Sexton's son, the yeah. island, the island, very good Irish rugby player, and they lost on yeah. Saturday night. Uh, I was, saw that. I thought yeah, that no, was... it's sweet, but it's isn't no, it I sort thought... of the same? Yeah, I didn't think it was sweet actually, Jane, because the the guy, his dad, just didn't even look down. You know, in a stadium, you probably can't hear what your kids no. are saying oh, to you no. either, and uh, and of course, your mind's in a different kind of adult place. Mm. And oh, I don't know, Jane. I think the, I think I think then. One of the nice things you could do as parents is just let your kids overtake you. Step back. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? It's not about you. Yeah. And also there's just a ghoulish uh, fascination in watching people's children, isn't there? So if I went to see Madonna and mm. uh, all of her kids, I mean, they're young adults now, aren't they? Yeah. They're not kiddie kiddies. But no. if they came up on stage, I know that I'd be kind of scanning them in a way that I wouldn't usually look at a young adult you know, oh, you know, what are they wearing and do they look well? And I don't know, it's just a bit strange. 
Well, Beyonce does it too, doesn't she, with Young Blue Ivy? Does she? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not. Have you been to see no, the No, but bay? she's been on stage. Okay. Yeah. So, I don't know. Well, let, people can tell us what they think. Well, they will. Jane yeah. and C at times.radio. Yeah, well, and just if my kids are listening, yeah. don't, don't email in. Okay. My kids won't be listening, so I don't need to make that. Um, uh, just to say, I want to say thank you to everybody I met at Beaudley in Worcestershire on Friday night. Lots of fans, Fee, oh. of you. Well, Lots of fans of you. I t- I basically, I put them right. Yeah. If, but if, um, the, and also, by the way, we shifted some books. Did you? Yes. Now, did, have you been faking my signature? I didn't fake your signature. It was all completely legit. They were just all signed by me. <laughs> but um, I think that's what there was. A, honestly, a very respectable queue of people. Some lovely, lovely people there at the Beaudley Arts Festival. And who came up to you who had thoroughly enjoyed the performance? Uh, well, somebody who used to be in quite a well-known I'll rock just band. Say it. Robert Plant. Robert Plant has now seen me live, and how many people can say that? Did he queue up for a book? No, he didn't. Do you think he'd like the, the miserable sod, <laughs> the mitherings of two middle-aged well, women? Why don't we send him a copy? We've got a few knocking around. Yeah. Oh dear. Um, well, that's quite something, though. That's a nice. Uh, that's a nice old codger to have in the audience. Well, he's seventy-five now, so I suppose you could say he is behaving in an entirely appropriate way. Yeah, and good on him for a gent of seventy-five. Yep, and also, you know, it must be quite lonely sometimes as an international former jet-setting rock star. Mm. What are you going to do on a Friday night? Well, if you're here, if you're Robert Plant, you go to a local community event in your town. Yeah, I think that's really good. Yeah, yeah. So, in a couple of years' time, what notable rock star do you think? will be going to a community event in their local town. Well, I mean, I just want Rod Stewart to come to one of our shows, Jane. I really, really think him and Penn would have a lovely time. Do you think... I don't know. I'm trying to think of somebody more contemporary who's really, like, challenging the, you know, I don't know, just saying awkward things, doing incredible stuff. Um, Stormzy. uh, Stormzy. Will Stormzy, in 40 years' time, 45 years' time, attend a talk yes. in his local town hall. Yes, I suppose you probably I think will. Storms okay. will. Yeah. Right. yeah, fine. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but how did he introduce himself? Did he say, I'm Robert, and then just expect no, you to know that he was part? Much cooler than that. It was actually his partner who I was chatting to first of all, and she said, oh, have you met my partner, Robert? And I found myself suddenly in conversation. With Robert Plant. Yes. And you did immediately recognise him. So she was the cool one. Him. Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I put my foot in it with a member of Pink Floyd once by not, not managing to do that. Yes, we have by got, the partner. We haven't got time to that for that story now. <laughs> it's all about me. Okay. <laughs> it's not all about me, but it is. Okay. Which member of Pink Floyd? I know I'm not gonna tell you that. Not 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 the not the terrible one. No, I was gonna say not him. <laughs> Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. 
Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ian Dale is a man of many things. Political publisher and journalist, podcaster, radio presenter, Cliff Richard aficionado, and we do get onto that, mm. and now curator of a massive tome all about the kings and queens of England. He's compiled and curated an extraordinary collection of essays from historians and writers detailing the lives of every monarch in England from the dawn of time. That's a little bit of an exaggeration. <laughs> <laughs> dawn of time. <laughs> We crawled out of the WhatsApp and lo, we appointed a monarch. Anyway, uh, the book starts with Ian meeting the late Queen, which was for him something of a dream come true. Yeah, I got invited when I was in the world of book publishing. Um, there was a reception at Buckingham Palace for people from the books industry, 800 of her closest friends there. <laughs> and my partner came along with me, who's a very shy person, doesn't sort of push himself forward at all. Um, but obviously the main objective was to meet the Queen and talk to her. So we, we were sort of ambling around for, I don't know, an hour. And I'm thinking, we're never going to get to it. Let's just go. We've seen what there is to see. Let's just go. He said, no, no, no. If we stand here, we will get to meet her. Did you block the exit for Her Majesty? No, it wasn't quite like that. But she did have to walk past us to get into the next room. So as she walked past us, um, I think I stepped forward <laughs> and engaged her in conversation. And it was really funny because everyone else was trying to edge... You know what it's like at these receptions. Everyone tries to edge their way in. So I kept trying to block them. And I to, we talked to her probably for about five minutes. And she was actually really easy to talk to because she had this reputation of having very little small talk. But actually... And she's such a gossip as well. Wanted all the political gossip from Westminster. Bear in mind, this was like 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago. God, imagine if you trying to do that these days. You'd be there for an hour and a half at least, <laughs> wouldn't you? Um, but that's interesting. Was there any sense uh, that you slightly broke with etiquette? Because I thought at those kind of things, you had to very much wait until somebody you know, kind of equery or whatever, brought you forward and into conversation? Probably. OK, but, but you I got mean, away with it. You have, you have one chance to meet the Queen, you're going to take it. I know, Jane, you've met her loads of times, haven't oh, you? No, I didn't. I've never met her. Have you not? Did you meet oh. her? No, but I've been to one of those fancy shindig things mm -hmm. and, and it was really, really strictly uh, choreographed. So only a certain number of people who had been previously identified were allowed to I don't remember her being led over. no. Well, I mean, well done you, because what a fantastic, fantastic <laughs> yeah, anecdote. But as you say, when you're retelling that story, 
the the thing that um that was so striking one of the things that was so striking about her was the fact that she had met so many of her subjects and actually mm. genuinely touched the lives of those people because nobody forgets the anecdote about the time they met the queen no and i think what's the statistic i mentioned is a third of the british people so they've either met or been in the same room as the queen i mean that that is That's an incredible statistic it really yeah, wow. is isn't it That's yeah. amazing. and some of the earlier monarchs here they will have been completely unknown to their subjects some and of their indeed, subjects and indeed to me <laughs> yeah well some of their subjects <laughs> won't have known the name of the monarch will no. they or cared, presumably. Uh, absolutely. And th- that's the reason I went back to King Alfred, because we all think history begins in 1066. Well, it doesn't. Um, in this book, it begins in 886, but I could have gone back further. But I think Alfred the Great was the first monarch who lay claim to be the king of England. He actually wasn't the king of the whole of England. Um, I think Ethelstan is probably the one that, that uh, can lay claim to that. But some of these early Saxon monarchs, or the Danish ones, I mean, they are absolutely fascinating. I mean, um, Edwig, who I think you mentioned a little Mm. bit earlier, um, he, I think I'm right in saying, is the only king to have had a threesome with his mother-in-law on his wedding night. It's quite a, a well, spicy little wasn't place. Necessarily, what I was expecting to hear. <laughs> but that's the days for you. <laughs> and how do we know that? Well, th- there's a thing called the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, which I'd never heard oh, yeah. of. But without the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, we wouldn't know anything about most of the monarchs before 1066. Mm. It is the 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 history book of the, of the time. And there is one king uh, who's the third one in the book, Elfweird, who I'm afraid um, Matt Stadlin drew the short straw in writing about him because there is literally nothing that we know about him. So I asked him to write 1,500 words about nothing and in the end he managed to write 500. And he kept saying, I've been to the British Library. I can't find anything on him. So of course you can. Try harder. (laughs) That's the great thing about this book. I don't have to write it. I, the, 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 it's the, very clever. The great, well, it is actually, isn't it? I'm, but, so we can I'm assume totally that, that poor bloke didn't have any threesomes then? We, we don't think so, no, but we okay. couldn't say categorically. Mm, right. But no. th- there is... The fun part of doing a book like this is actually putting the jigsaw together, matching the right contributor with the right monarch, and a lot of them choose the ones they want to do. But there are others who don't know anything about them, so they've researched them from scratch, and it, it, I think it's worked. I think it has too. Can we just return to Alfred a little bit, please? Yes. Um, because, in fact, he is... I mean, as you say, uh, he is actually... His life is quite well documented, so we do really know some details about him. And his vision of how he wanted to govern and rule is fascinating. So aside from needing to hold a powerful military position, he saw that his citizens needed to live in decent accommodation. He created boroughs, didn't he? And if you think of when he was operating, I mean, he could practically be the housing minister on the Labour front bench with some of his (laughs) new town plans, couldn't he? Well, he realised that to govern, you have to have the consent of the people. And if you don't have the consent of the people, you are doomed. And of course, the the stories of a lot of these monarchs is that they are doomed. They, They die in battle. I mean, up until I think it was, uh, was it William the Fourth. I want to say William the Fourth. It made them around the sort of pre-Victorian age. Every single monarch had gone into battle virtually, mm-hmm. and and there are all. And King Alfred, I think, is is a lays a claim to be one of our most important monarchs. Because although there was no democracy in those days, he did understand that the people had to have a say, and and they had to understand the institution of the monarchy. 
And, I mean, now we would never invent the monarchy, but it, it somehow works for this country, and I think our country would be diminished without it. And if you look at the evolution of parliamentary democracy, it does stem through the monarchy, um, through the uh, through the Witan, or I think it's the, the Witangamot, I don't know how you pronounce it, but that was a sort of early version of a parliament. All the sort of the, the noblemen of the country would meet up once a year in Oxford, and they would have this sort of parliament, and then it developed into a proper parliament in 1265. That was the first sitting of the English parliament. And we, we then gradually become this parliamentary monarchy that we are now. Mm. Uh, as you so correctly pointed out, you know, we don't really get to choose the monarchy. There's a certain uh, kind of reckless behaviour that is allowed in regal circles that you would hope would eventually be voted out, although modern politics may not bear witness to that. Uh, but one example of truly bad behaviour is Charles II. And mm. this is a fabulous chapter written by Charlotte White. I didn't realise that he was quite so... Uh, prolific in <laughs> his attentions towards the ladies. I mean, this is uh, under the section children. And he was married to Catherine of Braganza. Uh, uh, children, no legitimate heirs, but his illegitimate offspring included. Here we go. James Scott, the Duke of Monmouth by Lucy Walter, Anne Fitzroy, Countess of Sussex, Charles Fitzroy, Duke of Southampton, Henry Fitzroy, Duke of Grafton, Charlotte Fitzroy. It goes on and on. There are two more women to come uh, by Barbara Villiers, uh, George Fitzroy, the Duke of Northumberland, Charles Beauclerk by Nell Gwynne, and then uh, one other by Louise de Carrier. Can't pronounce that properly. I mean, what an absolute cad. And Charlotte goes on to say, did those qualities that made him a bad husband necessarily make him a bad man, or more importantly, a bad king? And the terrible realisation throughout the whole of this book really is that even if it did, there's not an awful lot we can do. Basically, they were all at it. Weren't they, though, yeah. Ian? And I mean, Prince Charles, I think, used his philandering or justified his philandering. So, yes, every other Prince of Wales has done it. And, it, and it's true, they, they did. And, I mean, the book, I mean, it is a serious book, but there are lots of anecdotes about the philandering that, that, that go through the book. And um, seven of our 60-odd monarchs were probably gay, which I hadn't realised before. Who, if you, who are you, you claiming? At, you look at the, well, I've actually got the, helpfully got the list in front of well, Queen Anne. No, I didn't. Well, yeah, I've seen the film. Yeah, well, exactly. So that, so it must be true. <laughs> yes. Well, but uh, you're saying it really, that was the film with yeah, Olivia Colman, wasn't it? Yes. yes. Edward II, Richard II, James I, William of Orange was apparently, but Tommy Two Ways, as Charles Brandreth would say. Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> Ian, we are, what? We're at times right We are, this is, you know, it's <laughs> not, not, not your no normal um, neck of the woods. <laughs> Um, but let's hear it for the House of Orange. Indeed. <laughs> Do you know, I, my big story about them is the fact that they are the ones who determine the colour of carrots, aren't they? Yeah, because they were purple. They were they? purple. Yeah. Yeah, they changed them. W one of the great things about putting this book together was I discovered this whole phalanx of young female hist royal historians that I didn't hadn't known existed. Alex Churchill, who you should have on... I, I heard you talk about the Queen Victoria chapter. She wrote that. Mm. Um, she is a force of nature. She's, a, a, she's basically a World War I historian more than anything else. But she runs a podcast called History Hack, and it, it, it seeks to sort of popularise history. And she introduced me to, I don't know, 20 or 30, sort of 20, 30, 40-something young royal historians who basically are the backbone of the book. Mm. And, and they were so pleased to be involved in it as well. Because sometimes, well, you want, you want a scattering of big names. So obviously, like Henry VIII, 
first thought David Starkey. He is the world authority on Henry VIII, and he's written a really original chapter on him. Um, so you want a, a few well-known names, but you also want people who really specialise in, in a particular era. Yeah, and I think it does bring a really good perspective to the book because without wanting to be too kind of um, gender determinative, if that's even a term, uh, I think that there is... I learnt more about Queen Victoria yeah. in Alex Churchill's chapter well, she, and about she, how, who she was as a woman yes, exactly. than I've ever learnt. Well, well, she sort of wrote it from a feminist perspective, which I don't think anyone's ever done before. And you, you learn that Queen Victoria... Victoria really liked sex, that, but she hated, as you said, Jane, being pregnant and, and was quite open about the difficulties that she most of her pregnancies mm. involved. And also about her body image. Yeah. So she was very, very conscious of how she looked and the kind of the slightly barrel nature of her figure and she well, had... in later life, after nine kids. So. Well, an inevitability, but I yeah. had never... I had never read something um, that tackled that quite so specifically. And the fact that Lord Melbourne, her first Prime Minister, who, if, if you believe the ITV series, she was totally entranced by, he tried to tell her, you cannot keep eating all of this stuff because you will get very fat. Mm. And she really didn't like being told that. And she didn't like exercise, did she? Does she said whenever she went out, anybody. she got stones in her shoes. <laughs> and you would have thought of all of the people who could ask someone to remove those stones, it would be Queen Victoria. <laughs> Can I just ask, I don't want to interrupt the flow of the conversation, but when are we going to talk about Cliff Richard, bearing in mind that we've got this very serious statement from the Commons? Oh, OK. I'm well, about to be soon act, aren't I? Yeah, yes, well, you are, no, but we're going to keep you on. That's, that's a very right. good point. Well, look, we'll, we'll talk just a tiny bit more about the book mm. after we've heard from Rishi Sunak too, but there's so much in it. It's absolutely delightful to read in, really, really delightful. Cliff Richard question coming. What is your Cliff Richard news, Ian, that you have to impart <laughs> well, to us? Well, in an exclusive, I can tell you that uh, for three nights at the Hammersmith Apollo, I'm going to be appearing with Cliff Richard on stage. How about that? You're not singing or anything, are you? No, I won't be singing. I, I, I probably could. I know most of the words to his big <laughs> you do. hits. You do. But um, no, he's, I'm going to be interviewing him. So he's doing a concert tour. Mm. It's um, called the uh, the Blue Sapphire Tour. And he's doing six dates at the Hammersmith Apollo in the, mi the middle of November. And Tim Rice and I are going to be interviewing. Tim's doing three nights. I'm doing three nights. So he sings for 40 minutes. 20 minutes before the interval, I come on stage to rapturous applause, no doubt. From yes. your, I think you I'll, might, be, you there. Might be I'll coming. be there and I'll be leading the applause. Fee, possibly not so much. She, doesn't, she didn't Not, not a Cliff fan? I live a long way away, Ian. It'll be difficult no, for me exactly to get I know exactly where you live. Really. <laughs> well, that sounds a bit, a bit wrong, that, Ian. <laughs> uh, no, it's right. Jane can take the ticket because okay. they'll be highly sought after. They, they are. Um, so we did 20 minutes before the interval, 20 minutes after the interval, he then does another 40 minutes singing. Bob's oh, your uncle. OK, so um, how many tracks by Sir Clifford have you got on your phone? About 1,500. That must be... Because I, I first went to see him when I was 15 at the Palladium, um, back in 1978, I think it was. Mm. And um, I obviously knew who he was before that, seen him on television, but I just think some of his songs, they sort of transcend the ages. I mean, who who can forget Missy Nights? Well, Missy Nights is a great song. Yeah. Only got to number 15, though. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't yeah, it? What, completely. Why did that happen? I don't know. Maybe just released at the wrong time. But it, I think it was the precursor to Devil Woman, which did get to number yeah, one. Yeah, Devil Woman is not my favourite. No. What no. is your favourite? Is it Missy Nights? Missy Nights is, that is my favourite song of all time. It How many just times? just beats The Winner Takes It All. Does it? Yeah. Wow. Gosh, so you like quite a sad song then, Ian. I do. I like, I, I really do like ballads, yeah. yeah. How many uh, times a week would you listen to a Cliff 
song? Well, I usually have my phone on shuffle and I've got 42,000 songs on it, so maybe not that often. But he's, he, he's got a new album coming out, so I should be addicted to that. Yeah, so you're a busy, busy man. Uh, there's a really uh, lovely final chapter by a little-known broadcaster, Sheila Fogarty. Uh, <laughs> she's a former colleague of ours and we both hugely admire her. It's a lovely chapter as well. It's about King Charles, obviously. Um, how important uh, was it for him to release this statement uh, after Saturday's atrocities, saying that he had asked to be kept informed in the situation as it developed in Israel and Gaza. Is that a departure from what his mother would have done? Are we not right to assume that he would have wanted to be informed anyway? Why did he need to tell us that? I think the Queen would have done exactly the same thing. Um, I mean, obviously, we assume that the government keeps the monarch informed of, of You'd anything. Hope so. But, I mean, that, there is a substantial Jewish community in this country. I mean, it's not actually as big as people think. I think it's only about 200,000 people. But Actually, I looked it up the other day, 270,000. Is, is it right? Yeah. Um, so he would want to send a signal to them that, he's, that they're uppermost in his mind. Um, I think the most interesting part of that, to enter into a controversial area, is that he did use the word terrorists, which the BBC seems unable to bring itself to do. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for coming into the studio this afternoon. That's Ian Dale. His book is Kings and Queens, uh, 1,200 Years of English and British Monarchs. And we should just say that's just because if you were uh, to talk about uh, the rulers of Scotland mm. or Wales, it would be a book four times the size. Yeah, so there, there, there were a lot of Scottish kings. And uh, there ought to be a book of Scottish there kings. Be, there yeah. are plenty of them. So, But I think someone in Scotland should probably do that. Yep. I'm turning my mind to dictators next. Are oh, you not going to do the High Kings of Ireland? Strangely not. Oh, no. I think you'll find plenty of I'm fodder. doing the Irish Taoiseach, which is the plural of Taoiseach. Yes. I'm sure I, you know that with I, your heritage. Oh, absolutely. I think of almost end, nothing end else. end of next year. Right. And Cliff Richard. All <laughs> in the mix. Richard. What a heady life our guest <laughs> Ian Dale leads. And we haven't mentioned West Ham. No, but there's no need no to. No need. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely no need at all. Right, that was Ian Dale. Yes, that was Ian Dale. And he did say, or was it you who said, the book would be even more ginormous if he'd written about the Scottish and Welsh kings. Yeah, so he did decide to just go England on it mm, uh, yeah. for, for that reason. And also, you know, as he says, the, the book about Scottish kings should be, and queens should be written by a Scot, which he's not because he's a West Ham supporter. Yeah. And he's doing dictators next. Gosh. What do you think will... What will be the common theme there? Well, men. Men. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I know. It's a bit of a, yeah. Uh, has that, that's a good question. Has there been a female dictator? No, so I think it's a question um, that's often asked, isn't it? And there are quite a few, obviously, wives of uh, yeah. essentially dictators mm. uh, who've probably been the power behind the throne and have been you know, distinctly oppressive in the way that they behave. But no, I can't think of a an all-female self-appointed dictator mm. and is the pendulum swing of equality does it mean jane that we have to have some would that, uh, I mean, would that be proving that's where that we've come of age things get a little there's some gray areas in this debate and i i, I, I totally get your quandary there yeah uh, and we also of course did point out we didn't want to discuss west ham at no all. so that's fine nope so to right. avoid that <laughs> <laughs> right uh is it time to say good night jane i really Fear it might be.
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jane at Time Stop Radio, if you'd like to join in with whatever this is. And uh, don't forget that we are reading Boy Swallows Universe by Trent Dalton as our book club book. I've just started it. I feel perilous. I am quaking at the prospect of reading that book now. Oh, oh. yeah, I'm going to just... I'm going to plant this here because I think our readers are curious enough to pursue a book and come up, obviously, with their own opinions. I did feel when I started to read it last night, it's it may be an amazing book, not for this time. That's what I thought, Jane. But I'm going to, obviously, uh, carry on. And uh, I think that's something that's worth talking about in the book club anyway. Okay. When you read a book, can define how much you like it. Mm. And, you know, sometimes I know that uh, I've gone back to a book at a different point in my life and absolutely loved it, but it's been a book I've thrown across the room first time round. Okay. Right, interesting. I, I'm slightly... Oh, gosh. I found it by my bed under a big pile. Well, do 20 pages maybe over the course of this week. I'm too busy this week. We've got, both got a lot going on. Oh, we do, actually. We've got yes. some launches, haven't we, to go to? Yeah. We're going to launches. And on Wednesday, um, you're going to talk to Krishnan Gurumurthy. I am. I'm going to get my spangles out for that. Well, I mean, he's got an interesting life at the moment, hasn't he? He's doing Channel 4 News, which, I mean, it's a show I've, I've always rated. I think it's very good. And, and he's on Strictly. That must be very odd at the moment. I think it's very strange, mm. and that will be where I start the interview, actually, because I don't know whether or not, especially in this extraordinary time of world conflict, uh, I, where, where's his journalistic head? Yeah, well, you will ask him. Mm. OK, everybody, um, you dig deep into your velvet rocks. We'll see you tomorrow. Well, remember, stay with your own flow. Well done for getting to the end of another episode of Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. And don't forget, there is even more of us every afternoon on Times Radio. It's Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5. You can pop us on when you're pottering around the house or heading out in the car on the school run. Or running a bank. Thank you for joining us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Don't be so silly. Running a bank? I know, lady. A lady listener. I'm sorry. Thank you.